This is <coughs> case 53 from the Hekigangaku, Pai Chang's Wild Ducks, the introduction. The whole world does not hide it. His entire capacity stands alone, revealed. He encounters situations without getting stuck. With every move, he has the ability to assert himself. In his phrases, there's no partiality. Everywhere he has the intention to kill people. But say, in the end, where do the ancients go to rest? To test, I'm citing this old case, look, the main case. Once when great master Ma and Pai Chang were walking together, they saw some wild ducks fly by. The great master asked, what is it? Chang said, wild ducks. Great master said, where have they gone? Chang said, they've flown away. The great master then twisted Pai Chang's nose. Chang cried out in pain. Great master said, when have they ever flown away? The verse. Wild ducks, who knows where they are? Matsu saw them coming, and then they had some words with each other. He told all about the scene of the clouds and the mountains and the moon over the sea. As before, Chang did not understand, but said they've flown away. Pai Chang wanted to fly away. But Matsu held him fast. Speak, speak. No, Zazenka is when <coughs> Teisho is scheduled after we have lunch together, take some time to clean. Right. Samu period, rest for a bit. And there's something very special after we do all that and we begin again. It feels clean, not just clean, but clean slate. It actually feels that there is always an opening, a new opportunity, always the possibility to begin again. I feel it, it's actually very palpable. I, I assume some of you do as well. So in our last study session, last Sunday, we came across a paragraph from the book, The Future is Open, that seemed to have resonated with many of you. So I'd like to bring it up again today in connection with this koan. It reads, when true awareness takes place, suffering does not exist. Through awareness, 
suffering is somewhat changed in its perspective. It is not necessarily that you do not suffer, but the haunting quality that fundamentally you are in trouble is removed. It is like removing a splinter. It might hurt and you might still feel pain, but the basic cause of that pain, the ego, has been removed. So how does awareness disperse the notion of being in trouble? Or the assumption that something is fundamentally wrong? Now, Before diving into this question, we may need to initiate a preliminary inquiry and investigate the meaning of, or the connotations that we have, of the words awareness and trouble, or wrong. We often use words to search for something without looking at the words we are using and our understanding of what we mean by using those words. We assume we're on the same page about that. Or we assume that we understand what that means so we could use that word to investigate something else. You know, we tend to relate to words in a conventional and self-concerned way. So when we look at the word awareness, we immediately shift the attention to our own level of awareness or lack thereof. And as soon as this shift happens, the word awareness becomes something to have or to lose. And it also creates, by doing that, so it creates the one who either has it or not. Linguistically or provisionally, it does make sense to look at, to look into one's level of situational awareness in relation to a particular circumstance. But the term, as it's used in the book, true awareness, points to that which is far more expansive. It refers to that which is eternally free of all particulars. It is beyond the confine of a specific time or a situation, and it does not produce a self. It may be useful to see it as the space, the space in which the stars and planets travel. Maybe the space between our thoughts. The vast spaciousness provides the constant background all the arising and vanishing commotion that takes place within or on the level of the foreground. Or the blank canvas on which we write the story of our lives. And it has the ability to quietly support whatever we do without being hindered by any of It has the power, ability, capacity to quietly support without being hindered. What is it? Where is it? 
It's a phenomenal source of equanimity available to, to everyone, hiding in plain sight. As you just chanted, now we see this. Only now. Now we see this, hear this, receive and maintain this. That's what it's talking about. Well, that's what you're talking about when you chant this. As the introduction to this koan begins with, the whole world does not hide it. Now, what about the haunting notion of being in trouble or the feeling that something is wrong? The feeling itself, feeling itself can be very real and deeply ingrained in us. We're not making this up. So we can't simply ignore or suppress it. But we can, we can re-examine the word trouble. What does that really mean? And who is in trouble? What is trouble? We can also use the arising feeling as an opportunity to shed light on the, the gap or discrepancy between the functioning of our perceived version of reality and the functioning of reality itself. Awareness has the power, has the power to disperse the clouds that only seem to separate us from that vast spaciousness, or whatever it is we choose to call it. And then sometimes the clouds are very dark, very convincing. Convincing of their solidified appearance. Like when we look at a dark, dark, dark cloud, it doesn't seem like you can go through it. It seems like it's weighing you down, almost suffocating. The feeling is real, but the cloud doesn't have that ability. But the feeling is suffocating, not the situation. I was writing this talk and I was reminded when I was young, <coughs> my dad worked at a company that employed a few people so many years ago who were Holocaust survivors. And he said when he would see them at the dining hall, they had a big dining hall, they would eat together. He'd notice that they had a persistent habit of putting a couple of bread rolls in their pockets before leaving the table every time. after every meal. Now, of course, it's easy to understand the source of this compulsive habit and how it would create the haunting notion of being in trouble. So it's easy to explain. But it can also 
this example can also serve as a, as a clear recognition of the disconnect between an ingrained karmic pattern and reality itself. Even when we explain it, there is still, the explanation doesn't shrink the gap. It doesn't do anything, actually. It's just, okay, this is why this happens. But the gap is the gap. And the pain created by the gap is actually a pain of today, triggered by pain in the past or events in the past. But the pain is present. So we can't say that the pain is, or blame the pain on what happened in the past. We make the connection so we can, it's like breadcrumbs. You go all the way back there, oh, this is where it started. But it's not quite true. For the story, yes. But in reality, the, the pain of today is created by the gap of today, not by the event of yesterday. And it's important to notice that, but not with using somebody else's example, experience, to actually notice that in our own functioning. It's the only way we can create an opening, right? Studying ourselves, examining how we create gaps. And recognizing the pain that it creates. So the question for us is always, how do we meet with reality on reality's terms? Instead of demanding it should fit our own terms. Now, demanding doesn't mean we always know that we are demanding. It's the habit that's demanding. So when we are aligned with the habit, we become demanding because we are at the service of the habit. So we become demanding. Maybe we are not aware of how unrealistically demanding we have become. So we can begin by opening up to that possibility. It's very sobering. So for a Zen practitioner, the basic training ground for learning how to meet reality on reality's terms is Zazen. We fold our legs, we get in touch with the body and the breath, we turn the attention inwardly. Then we need to raise the most important open inquiry of a spiritual journey. What is this? What is this? An inquiry that can never be concluded. It's not what is it, I'll look, I'll find, I'm good to go. It's always, what is this? So we clean, right? We clean the mat, we clean the carpet, clean the dishes. And then we ask, what is it? Because if we don't clean, oh, we know what it is, right? 
This is a crumb. This is a drop. This is oil. This is this, this is that, right? Dust. We know everything. But then when we clean it, we really don't know. That's why sometimes we bring back the dirt so we can know, right? As we talked about last Sunday, we actually prefer to be in our own, surrounded by our own stench and filth, and I'm quoting, then, actually, then remove it and step into not knowing. At least I know. At least I have a definition for that stench. I can explain it. Because five years ago, or 40 years ago, and that's what we need to be doing on the cushion, right? We fold our legs, we, turn the, we put aside everything, everything, everything or anything we can at least get in touch with in terms of what we are holding on to. We put aside the before, we put aside the after. We put aside ourselves for the time being. And we turn inward. What is this? What is it when I don't know what it is? What is it when I don't go to the mind that explains everything to me? Or the mind that wants explanation for everything? And by raising such an open inquiry, our attention shifts from the past to the present, from the future to the present, from the known to the unknown, from the fixedness of our story-based reality to the undefined, undefined dynamic reality of life as it really is. What Buddhism refers to as suchness or thusness, This is the role of our zazen right, in our practice. It's also the role of a koan, or koan study. So I want to refer back to what Shibayama wrote, Shibayama wrote about koans, which is very relevant. He said the task or role of a koan is to help a student open his zen eye, to deepen her zen attainment, and to refine her Zen personality. It is a means in Zen training, but in actual practice, the koan does not lead a student along an easy and smooth shortcut like other ordinary means. The koan, on the contrary, throws a student into a deep and rugged maze where she has no sense of direction at all. That's why koans are not usually given to a beginner. Because we have to know what that means. We have, to we have to begin to feel comfortable through zazen to begin to feel comfortable without a supporting ground, a mentally supporting ground, right? without our ideas or beliefs or stories. We have to be comfortable with that. Then we bring a koan into that. So without a sense of direction at all, she is expected to overcome all the difficulties and find a way out. In other words, 
the koan is the most difficult and rough means for the student to go through. Good koan for those that are, and those that are most intricate, illogical and irrational in which the most brilliant intellect will completely lose its way. So we have to be willing to lose our bearings. And then he goes on to explain that. Suppose here is a completely blind man who trudges along leaning on his stick and deepening and depending on his intuition. The role of the koan is to mercilessly take the stick away from him and push him down after turning him around. Now the blind man has lost his soul's support and intuition and will not know where to go or how to proceed. He will be thrown into the abyss of despair. In the same way, the Quran will mercilessly take away all our intellect and knowledge. In short, the role of the Quran is not to lead us to Satori easily, but on the contrary, to make us lose our way and drive us into despair. You can adjust if needed. And it's not that we are not supported. We're just not supported the way we think we should be supported. Well, in other words, the story is not supported. We are fully supported. But the story tells otherwise. So the, the, the stick, right, that crutch is me and my story. Me and everything I've come to rely on. That's what I'm holding on to. So to snatch that away or to, well, it doesn't have to be snatched away. You can willingly release. Release and grab, release and grab until you get comfortable with having the hand wide open. It's a matter of training. It does not have to be abrupt. But it has to be continuous, not just on weekends. The teacher in this particular koan is great master Matsu Ma, 8th century Chinese teacher who was a Dharma grandson of Huineng, the, the sixth patriarch. He's one of the most important teachers in the Zen tradition, and it says that he strode like an ox and glared like a lion. And he had a bone-chilling presence that revealed an astonishing freedom. In one of his talks, he said, the phenomenal is identical with the transcendent. And the born is none other than the unborn. If you have a thorough realization of this, you can live your daily life, wear your clothes, eat your meals, nourish your inner womb of holiness, and pass your time as befitting your conditions 
and the tides of human affairs. I think this paragraph actually says it all. It says it all because it is telling us what Zazen is about. It is also telling us that Zazen does not exclude anything or Zen practice in general, does not exclude anything. It's not often, may not be how we practice. We may practice as an escape or a way to find escape. But what he's saying is that you do what you do and pass your time as befitting your, as befitting your conditions and the tides of human affairs. Now that tides of human affairs includes everything we go through in life. Everything. Including the madness that's going on in the world. It's not some of it, it's all of it. So we have to ask, do I see my Zen practice as such? Because if I don't, I'm gonna, I may use it as an escape or I will give up on practice. That's what's gonna happen. Actually, that's what often happens when we don't understand our practice as all-inclusive. We either see it as being too much or too demanding or we use it as an escape route. to have what he's saying at the beginning here, to have a thorough realization of this truth means to recognize that our fleeting lives with all the challenges, pain, loss, despair, and confusion that naturally come from being human are what we talk about in relation to practice, right? This is what we do. Even going to a zazenkai, right? And sitting and chanting and eating, jiatsu style, all of it is not outside of. It includes it all. And, and it is saying that all of it is never a part of our eternal and indestructible essence. And it means to be verified by the simple aspects of everyday life. It means to go towards it, not away from it. It also means that the simple activities of everyday life are essentially nurtured by themselves, can be nurturing the inner womb of the Buddha. We practice carefully and meticulously because it is about nurturing the sacred fetus. To nurture it correctly, we also need to learn how to not make a big deal out of the practice while being a Zen practitioner. To nurture correctly means to pay attention, to deeply care, and to appreciate this. And then ask, what is this? Now, can we maintain this question as an open inquiry while functioning within the known aspects of our provisional reality? within the known, can we keep the unknown unknown or open while we function with many known facts? 
for the sake of functioning. Obviously, we need that. So it doesn't become one or the other. Introduction says, the whole world does not hide it. His entire capacity stands alone, revealed. He encounters a situation without getting stuck. With every move, he has the ability to assert himself. In his phrases, there's no partiality. Now he, in this case, is referring to Matsu. But this great capacity is inherent in everyone. So that, that's not about only Matsu. It doesn't come. It doesn't come from everywhere, anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. It does, however, need to be realized. So we can change the introduction and, and ask and say this. It is not hidden in you. Your entire capacity stands alone revealed. You have the ability to encounter situations without getting stuck. And you have the ability to assert yourself fully at any moment. All the koans are actually saying that. They're not talking about people who passed away many years ago. They're talking about what's alive and well today and asking us, asking us to trust it so it can shine forth through us. Do we trust it? So the Quran brings, this Quran brings up an exchange between Matsu and his disciple Pai Cheng who later, as some of you know, became a great Zen master. At that time, he was not yet realized. As the two of them went on a walk, a flock of wild ducks flew by, and Matsu pointed at them and asked, what is this? Looking at an, a commonly known fact, that in most situations, we don't raise a question about. We know, we know, we know. You know, we even, obviously we chant the same chants again and then we know that, why are we doing it? Is it repetitive? I got it, I know what this is about. I know it by heart. But every time we chant, we have to ask, rather than no. Memorizing doesn't do anything. You memorize it, good. It actually may, I think, sometimes have the opposite effect because then it becomes mechanical. Chant it like you've never chanted it ever, ever before. So then the inquiry into each line is revived every time. So what is it? Matsu's question was born out of what was available at that moment. That's what he saw and that's what he used. And he used it with the attempt to bring his disciple to an awakening experience. 
is, it says in introduction, everywhere he has the ability and the intention to kill people. And the only way to give life is to kill. So Matsu asked, what is it? And Pai Chang said, wild ducks. Hakuin commented on this saying, the straightforward mind is the site of enlightenment. So, yeah, wild ducks, right? What is this? Wild ducks. The straightforward mind is the site of enlightenment. And this would be to access the unknown through the known. Not to be stuck, not to be held back by the known, but actually to see the unknown through the known. So that the known fact does not stop an inquiry. It can begin an inquiry. It can show us that what we think it is, is not what it is. When, when you bypass, when you go beyond the mind-created image of a wild duck, and go directly to the living reality of it. Shrink the gap between the I and the duck, or the being. You realize that it is not a duck. Only then it can truly be a duck, which migrates in the winter and comes back to lay eggs in the summer. In other words, the no precedes the yes. Or total negation leads to complete affirmation. In the Hot Sutra we chant, in emptiness there is no form, no sensation, perception, reaction, consciousness, no eye, no stuck body, mind, no color, sound, smell, taste, touch, thing, no realm of sight. And then we follow that with the Sandoka and we chant, I see, ears hear, no smell, tongue tastes. Each is independent of the other, like leaves that come from the same root. First we negate, then we affirm. When we negate the separate existence, the separate existence of the eye and the ear, Recognize that they do not exist unto themselves and cannot function outside the body. Is it an eye when it's not functioning in the body as an eye? Then we realize that the one body, we realize the one body that expresses its totality through the eye and the ear is pulsating through it. through the eye, through the ear, through each of us, or a wild duck. How do we experience and express this unity in our daily encounters with all kinds of beings, especially the ones who annoy us? Who 
course, there was nothing wrong with Pai Chang's stating that these are wild ducks. But his teacher, Matsu, wanted to see how does he understand the true state of wild ducks. So he asked further, where have they gone? Where have they gone? And Pai Chang said they've flown away. In Hakuin, Song of Zazen, we chant, in going and coming, never leave home. The wild ducks know exactly how to come and go without ever leaving home. But Pai Chang did not yet realize it. So Matsu twisted his nose and Pai Chang cried out in pain. When the footnote says, the nostrils born of his parents are in the hands of someone else. So Hakuin commented on this and said, whoops, damn, got away. Got away. Another lost opportunity. In everyday life, we miss so many opportunities to awaken, to realize that each moment is the same as a thousand years. And each brief encounter is an invitation from our unifying souls, as in the words of Rumi, be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Whatever comes, be grateful, because it is a guide from beyond. And it is a shame if we don't realize it in this Lifetime. The commentary says, when teacher of our, teachers of our school help people, they must make them penetrate through. You see that Pai Chang did not understand, that he did not avoid cutting his hand on the point. Matsu just wanted to make him understand. Thus it is said, when you understand, you can make use of it wherever you are. If you don't understand, then the conventional truth prevails. That's the source of drama. When the conventional truth prevails, there's drama. Because we live and die by the conventional truth. It's all we know by knowledge, or even by experience, if we don't experience anything else. But to open up our experience to the fundamental or absolute reality within the conventional, then it's no big deal. And this is not making light of human affairs. The no big deal is that's what's going on, and that's what I need to do. That's it. Oh, I'm up for that. And then he says, if Matsu hadn't twisted Pai Chang's nose at that time, 
that conventional truth would have prevailed. It's also necessary when encountering circumstances and meeting conditions to turn them around and return them to oneself. Drive all things back to the one, right? To have no gaps at any time is called the ground of nature bright and clear. To have no gaps at any time. Having no gap, there's nothing else going on. There is no coming and going. So, four lines. What is this, he asks. Wild ducks. Where have they gone? They've flown away. It's conventionally and logically, we see this exchange of four lines. One, two, three, four. And it makes sense to see it this way. That's the truth we get trapped by. And in that, in, in the name of this truth, right? So following that, we discriminate, we cause harm without ever stopping to question. It becomes one, two, three, four, five, six. Everything becomes automatically continual because we think we know. But then comes Matsu, and with a forceful twist of the nose, he removes the gaps, and he cuts it all to one. The commentary says, Pai Chen cried out in pain. If you see it as such, then the whole world does not hide it, and it is perfectly manifest everywhere. Think Denson, 18th century teacher in a Soto school, said, after all, there is nothing outside of knowing that what is painful hurts and knowing that what itches, itches. That's it. That can cut through or cut the gap. As Hakuin said, the straightforward mind is the site of enlightenment. It hurts. You can adjust. While ducks is a point of entry, Pain is a point of entry. You see one, you see it all. As in the saying, penetrate one place and you penetrate a thousand places, 10,000 places all at once. Now for Pai Chang, it did not end there. When Matsu went up to the hall the next day to give a talk, but as, as soon as the congregation had assembled, Pai Chang came forward and rolled up his bowing mat. Matsu immediately left his seat. After he had returned to his abbot's quarters, he asked Pai Chang, I just gone up to the hall and not yet started to talk. Why did you roll up your mat and left? Chang said, yesterday I had my nose twisted by you, teacher, and it hurts. 
Matsu said, where, where were you keeping your mind yesterday? Pai Chang said, today the nose no longer hurts. Matsu said, you have a profound knowledge of today's affairs. Today my nose does not hurt. You have a profound knowledge of today's affair. All those things we don't even give a split second attention to. Those are the missed opportunities. Pai Chang then bowed and returned to the attendance quarters crying. For a different reason now. One of, one of his fellow attendants asked, why are you crying? Pai Chang said, Go ask the master. The attendant then went to Matsu. But Matsu, Matsu said, I don't know, go ask Pai Chang. When the attendant returned to the quarters, asked Pai Chang, Chang laughed loudly. The attendant said, you were crying just a minute ago. Why are you laughing now? Pai Chang said, I was crying before and now I'm laughing. That's it. I was hungry before and we had lunch and now I'm not hungry anymore. You got that, you can go. Have a good life. You graduated. And our lives are made up of many, many, many experiences and each experience offers equal opportunity to embrace the totality of life each experience, if we don't pick and choose. But this means to fully embrace the experience of the moment without getting trapped by the incessant judgments and comparisons that are produced in our minds impulsively. Bai Chang said yesterday, I was in pain. Today, it does not hurt. Profound knowledge of today's affairs. And we lose ourselves to the experience we're having, the experience will kill us gladly. It's Dongshan, right? When heat comes, let it be so hot that it kills you. When cold comes, let it be so cold that it kills you. The commentary says, these days, some say, where there is fundamentally no enlightenment, they construct the gate of enlightenment and establish this affair. If you view it this way, you are like a flea on a lion's body feeding itself on the lion's flesh. Haven't you seen where an ancient said, if the source is not deep, the stream is not long. If the wisdom is not great, the vision is not far reaching. That's how we become small-minded. If, if you entertain the understanding that enlightenment is a construct, how could the Buddhist teaching have come down to the present? Because the only way it's being passed on from one to another, right? But we shouldn't really take that line without examining because we also have to ask, what has been passed on to the present? 
Is he just doing things in a spe specific, particular way that pertains to a particular tradition? That's all that's been passed away, passed on from one to another. So if we master that, it means we got it. So we have to ask, what is it that we are, what have we inherited? And what is our responsibility for that inheritance going forward? And it's important, it's all very important because very soon, very soon, this lump of flesh and blood you happen to occupy for the time being, will dissolve and be absorbed back to the totality it came from. Very soon. The very same totality it never left. And there's nothing we can do or need to do about that. But there's a lot we can do about the brief moment between birth and death. So please, examine, examine the way you live your life. Investigate. Because no one else can do it on your behalf. So examine, acknowledge the level of pettiness you may often sink to. Examine what you have become invested in or vested yourself in. And be deliberate about not squandering this grand opportunity, this grand opportunity to fully embrace, to love wholeheartedly, to appreciate wholeheartedly, and fully awaken today, just today.